The reading can be found in Ephesians 4, verses 1 to 16. Unity in the body of Christ. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing one another in love making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says... When he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, and that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work. Here ends the reading. pray. Lord, as we bow down, be lifted up tonight, we pray. Amen. Good evening. I want to explore with you tonight God's great idea. It was very much to the fore of the Apostle Paul's mind while he was writing this passage that we've just had dominated him while he was in prison. What do you think it was? Let's come at it another way. If I say stars and stripes, you know precisely what I mean. If I say Tesco, the picture is equally clear in your mind. But if I say church, what's the picture that flashes into your mind then? A building? A voluntary society, an hour a week, a clergyman? No, the church is Christ's body. Verse 15 and 16 speaks of him being the head from whom the whole body is knitted together by all the ligaments with which it is equipped. That's God's great idea. 
That's his settled plan to bring about his purposes in the world. Isn't it a brilliant picture? So true to life as we know it. I can't see the real you, your inner self, the workings of your mind. You project all that through your body. And Jesus does the same. He is invisible, like your mind, but he wants to make himself known through his body, the church. And we together, you and I, make up that body. We are his representatives. And the terrifying thing is that people judge Jesus by what the church is like. I've had an example of that this very afternoon. Yes, we are his projection into the world. And so it's vital that each of us is linked up personally to Christ the Lord. Verse 15, we must grow up in every way unto him who is the head, Jesus Christ. It's like that with the physical body, isn't it? Every part of us is linked up by the central nervous system with the brain. And it's meant to be like that in the church, with every member personally linked up to Jesus Christ. I guess the question comes to each of us, are you? If not, of course, he can't reach others through you. He can't do anything effective through you. I know a girl who looks as though she has two eyes, but she hasn't. She's only got one eye, and the other eye is a glass eye. And you can do the same with arms and legs. We've had stuff about amputation tonight. If you are a wooden leg, walking around, as it were, in church, all inside a pair of trousers, it looks absolutely marvelous, but you're not linked to the central nervous system. If you're a glass eye, you look the cat's whiskers, but you're not linked up with the head. It's no good. And that's why, always in the apostle's mind, there's that need for people to come to a living personal faith in him. I've known two people who've done that in the past week. And it is newness of life, no less for them. But not only do we corporately represent Jesus, not only do we all need to be linked up with him, but this image of the body tells us that we all need each other and we complement each other. We cannot pretend that if we are, say, an arm in the body, we don't need an ear or an eye or a leg. Of course we do. Okay, God's great idea is not just our personal salvation. In the West, we're far too obsessed with individuality like that. No, he is concerned with the life of the body, with all the parts working harmoniously together. That's God's great idea. So are you with me? The church is his body. We represent him. We each need to be linked with him. We need each other, and we're all different. Thank goodness. Right. With that image of the body of Christ in mind, See what this passage has to say about our life together as Christian disciples. Corporate discipleship, that's the theme tonight, isn't it? 
Okay, this passage, I think, if we can really prune it and fillet it like a good salmon, um, it speaks of our membership, it speaks of our leadership, it speaks of our growth within the body of Christ. Let's have a look at the membership first. The great stress in the first few verses here is on unity. He wants us to maintain the unity given by the Holy Spirit in the bond of peace, verse 3. And basically, in this section, he makes two points. One point is that we cannot make Christian unity. The World Council of Churches has tried and failed. The Pope has tried and failed. The Anglican Communion has tried and failed. The new churches have tried and failed. They've all failed. Because unity is a gift of the Holy Spirit. And Paul mentions seven um, bonds of unity here. There is one body of Christ to make him known in which we're all members. There is one Holy Spirit to empower us. There is one hope to which we are called. The hope of being with God at the end of the day. There is one Lord Jesus Christ. There is one personal faith or trust in him. There is one body and there is one God, the Father of us all, who is above us all and wants to work through us all. We're in his family. We are one. It's God who makes Christian unity. We cannot make it. That's his first point. But we can wreck it. That's his second point. Look at the qualities which make uh, us shine when those qualities are seen in us. When we live worthy of our calling, verse 1. Just glance at those verses. Humility, gentleness, patience, putting up with one another in love, seeking to preserve the unity that the Spirit gives because he's present in all of our lives. Now, turn those over. Have a look at the flip side, at the opposite, how we wreck human, uh, Christian unity. There's the big head. There's the abrasive person. There's the impatient fellow. There's the people who frankly loathe each other. And there are those who couldn't care less about preserving unity so long as they can push their own agenda. Those five virtues are just turned on their head and... Paul is saying, you guys can't make it, but boy, you can wreck it. It's not a pretty sight, but it happens in many churches. Let us seek for modesty and gentleness and patience and the Lord's help to put up with those we find it hard to love. Goodness me, we need that help, don't we? Remembering that the Holy Spirit lives in them as well. Membership spells unity. That's what Paul wants to see in the body. Second thing that he turns his attention to um, in verses 7 and following is leadership. And if the key word in membership was unity, the key word here, I guess, is variety. There are three things to keep in mind in this area of Christian leadership. Verse 11, 
Christian leadership is a gift. The gifts he gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers to equip the saints for the work of service. In some churches, you find that the leaders are over the church. You find that very much in the Roman Catholic and the Orthodox churches where nothing can happen without father. In other churches, they're under the church. Take the Baptist church, for example, where uh, the minister could be fired quite cheerfully um, by the deacons. In some churches, there is no real leadership at all, just a vague democracy that bumbles along. But no, what Paul is saying is that leadership is the gift of the ascended Christ. Christ has ascended up on high, and he's given us a parting gift. And that parting gift is leadership in his church. It's not about status at all as if leaders were more important than anyone else in the church. They are God's love gift. They have a job to do, just like every other member of the body. But just take that to heart for a moment. Andrew and Will and Company Limited are God's love gift to you. And don't you forget it. The vicar has forgotten it already. (laughs) The second thing is that Christian leadership is not only a gift of the ascended Christ, it is plural and it is varied. It is not a one-man band. You couldn't have had one person being that band tonight, could you? And nor should you in leadership. It's a little team. And Paul um, takes five distinct emphases And he wants to see them in place. Every church should be apostolic. There aren't any more apostles, but we're built on the apostolic foundation which you find in the scriptures. It should be prophetic, every church. Not only speaking up for good and against evil in society, but um, making room when the Holy Spirit guides a particular person to enunciate a word from God for this congregation now, now. That's New Testament prophecy. Um, Each church should be evangelistic, spreading the good news of the gospel every way that we can. In any church worthy of the name, there needs to be pastors, pastoral care, for we all carry wounds. And there needs to be good teaching. Apostles, pastors, prophets, evangelists, teachers. You won't find all of those qualities very often in one man or woman. And that is why a leadership team is so important at the heart of the church. And thank God we have one here. It's a gift. It's plural. And the third thing about leadership that he stresses here is that leadership has a clear aim. The object of these five strands in Christian leadership in verse 11 is to build up the body of Christ, to equip 
the saints, or the, that, that means the Christians, that means you guys, you're the saints. Did you know that? Take heart, you are the saints. And the job of Andrew and Company Limited is to build up the saints for your work of service. That's what preaching and teaching and all the activity in the church is all about. You see, the leadership doesn't do it all himself and says, who is somebody to help me in my leadership? No, the function of the leader is to equip the saints, the Christians, for their work of service. Every limb in the body of Christ has a ministry. And the task of the leaders is to equip the members of Christ's body to exercise to the full the gifts that Jesus has given them. Leaders are resource people. In the original language here, when it says equip, that word is used of getting a ship ready to go to sea. That's the job of the leadership. Varied leadership and resourceful leadership. They are not garage owners. They are petrol pump attendants. Their job is to put gas into your tank. And Esso used to know it. Membership, leadership, here's the third strand in this very rich passage which I'm only able to scratch at tonight. It is growth. Speaking the truth in love, we must all grow up in every way unto him who's the head, even Christ. All round growth. That's what he's after here. Naturally, Paul doesn't see the body of Christ as static. My friend here and his beloved are about to welcome a new baby on Wednesday. At least that's the plan, but I expect the baby will have a different plan. But anyway, we'll we'll all be rejoicing over this little urchin. (laughs) But if he stayed that size for 20 years we wouldn't be so full of joy. The body of Christ is not meant to be static. It's not to say, oh, what did we do last year? It's to say, what is God calling us to do now? Next year I see that um, we're going to need another 75,000 pounds in this church if we are to meet the new challenges. We need to invite more of our friends to church to resource the new Alpha, the skiing party, Sago, overseas projects, all of these things. But Paul singles out three areas in particular where the church needs to grow. Here's the first one, verse 14, to grow in understanding the faith so that we're no longer children tossed to and fro blown about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, by their craftiness in deceitful scheming. Watching out for heresies and lies and being so built up in our understanding of the faith that we're not taken in by them. In the student newspaper, the first uh, issue of it this fall, In Warwick University, any fresher going up would have read these words. 
Once you've zeroed in on the lucky lad or lady, remember to stay safe. Free contraception is available all over the campus, so don't get lazy and end up by regretting your fresher fling. You need to be rooted and grounded to cope with that stuff. And it goes on a little bit further. If Alcoholics Anonymous is to be believed, most of my friends have a drinking problem. So do I. Despite this assessment of my drinking habits, I'm not particularly worried. As students, we should be judged by a different set of standards to the population as a whole. You need the arrogance of the young, yes. You need, you need to have some stability to cope with this stuff. An understanding of the faith, a standard that has been built up against which we can measure this stuff that's coming at us in the adverts and so on from all quarters. There's got to be a growth in understanding. The second thing is there's got to be a growth in speaking the truth in love. The word could be holding the truth in love, but I think it probably means speaking the truth in love. And how difficult that is, isn't it? Some are so hot on doctrine. They are so solid. They are so sound. They know it all. And they know that I've got it and you haven't. <sighs> Plenty of truth, perhaps, but no love. And some are very loving. They're so gooey and loving and, you know, stroke your feathers down. But they never dare to speak out any uncomfortable truths. Get the balance. Hold the truth in love. That's the path for disciples. And the third one is this, where every part is working properly. Verse 16. You know what it's like in the physical body when one part swells unnaturally. You need to go to the doctor quick and he'll say elephantiasis. It's not good news, it's bad news. It's a disease. You know what it's like um, when <laughs> you, you're unfortunately confined to bed for a month and you try to get out of bed after that's over and you find you fall over because your limbs, the, <laughs> the, the, the muscles and things, have folded up. That's atrophy. If you don't use it, you'll lose it. Now it's the same in Christ's body. Some are too big for their boots and they try to dominate the Christian group or whatever it is. Some don't get involved at all in any serious service for the church. Is it where they cut themselves off, they hack off the limb, like we saw sadly today. And honestly, the body of Christ is all hacked and diseased around the place. We really need to watch ourselves like that. When every part is working properly, you don't have to carry the whole load. You just make sure that you find out what your part is and that you're doing it properly. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this matchless picture of what our corporate discipleship should be like. Please show each of us what our main role in Christ's body is. And please, by your Holy Spirit, enable us to do it properly so that the body is built up
in love and effectiveness through Jesus our Lord and our risen head. Amen.